Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. The book of Philippians, chapter 1. We'll be concluding this chapter today, continuing our study in the book of Philippians. We'll be in verses 27 through 30. I want to ask you as we begin, how do we live lives worthy of the gospel together? You see, I think if... I think sometimes that I I feel like I could live a life worthy of the gospel if it wasn't for all those other people that I have to live it with, right? It gets difficult when we see that we are called to live the life of the gospel together. Together. So, I want to remind you of where we are in the book of Philippians, of what has occurred thus far. Uh, Paul, after the introduction, dives into a description of what he prays for the Philippians, what he desires for them concerning the future, a general description of all of that, mainly that they would, their love would abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, that they may approve what is excellent, and then on one day be pure uh, as they appear before Christ. And then he talks to them briefly about how he's doing how he's doing in the midst of his imprisonment, or his hopes dashed, or is he hopeful? And he tells us that he is extremely hopeful, that the Word of God continues to move forward, and that alone is sufficient for his hopes to remain. And then he tells us about his future. So he tells us about his present, but then he, he tells us about his future. What does he think is going to happen? Is this imprisonment just going to continue until he is executed, or does he think that he will uh, be released? And so that's where we left off our last time. He, he told us, he told the Philippians that he believes that he will be released and that he will continue with them for their joy, their progress in the faith. That was where we left off. But in verse 27, it takes somewhat of a, of a turn. And so I invite you to stand with me. And Paul here in verses 27 through 30 is going to summarize basically the entire book of Philippians, his encouragement, his instructions for them. Beginning in verse 27 of chapter 1, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but that you should also suffer for His sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. You may be seated. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading and teaching of your word this morning. As always, we pray that you would convict us through your Holy Spirit of our sin. To those who have not been reborn, Lord, who are not alive in you, we pray that you would bring salvation, the rebirth, something that only you can do. God, to us who, to those who have been reborn, to us, Lord, who live and who fellowship with you, may we be sanctified through the teaching of your word. May we grow together in one mind and one spirit, learning more how to work for the faith of the gospel in all we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How do we live worthy of the gospel? 
Well, first, what, what's it mean? What is Paul, what is he asking here? Well, to live worthy of something or someone we know, it means to, to measure up to that something or that someone. And so Paul is saying, may your life measure up to the gospel itself. This reminds me of conversations between parents and children when children first begin to leave their house on their own with friends or something like that. I've heard of parents saying, remember who you represent when you go out there. Remember that you you bear our name, so don't bring shame to it, right? What Paul is asking them to do is not bring shame on the gospel, to live up to it, to measure up, to live worthy of the gospel. And the gospel, we need to define it to know what we're trying to live worthy of. What exactly is it? What type of name are we trying to live worthy of? I mean, what level is it on? The gospel, most specifically, is the sin-bearing death of Jesus in which he accomplishes our salvation. But it, it's, it's broader than that. We could say, we could just insert simply the name of Jesus here. Live lives worthy of Christ. Christ being the one who lived perfectly and died bearing all our wretched sin. How do we live worthy of such a great salvation and such of a, a great sacrifice? As Romans 12 says, the only thing that we can do is lay down our lives to present our bodies as living sacrifices. Well, Paul is going to give us more specific instructions here. So we will get to specific instructions on how we live worthy of the gospel. But Paul's instruction, it carries a deeper connotation than just live. And I want to hopefully clarify here. It, it actually comes from the word polis, which just means city. We get the word uh, politics from this root, P-O-L-I. And, and when he tells them to live, it actually has a, an association with being a citizen somewhere. So you could, you could translate it as live worthily as a citizen of the gospel. But in the context of Philippians, there, there's even more to it. You see, when we began our study, we talked about Philippi, the nature of the city of Philippi. Philippi is a mini-Rome. You see, it was established as a Roman colony. Re retired Roman soldiers would go to Philippi. The people who were born in Philippi automatically had a status as a Roman citizen. Now, this might not mean much to us because basically everyone, everyone born here is an American citizen. But many people in the Roman Empire did not have the same citizenship. You'll remember that Paul, when he was beaten one time, later said that he was a Roman citizen and the people who were beating him were frightened. You see, Roman citizens were not to be beaten. Roman citizens could appeal to Caesar. But Peter? Peter could not appeal to Caesar. This is very interesting when we see how it, it's Paul. God brought about this man named Paul who was a Roman citizen to spread the gospel throughout the empire. You see, Paul was able to travel these Roman streets very easily. He had rights. And so the people in Philippi, citizenship was a large thing, just like it is to us. And so what Paul appeals to is live out your citizenship as worthy of the gospel. You see, it's not merely that you're a citizen of Philippi. It's more that you're a citizen of the gospel. 
we have a dual citizenship. And that citizen of the gospel is to take priority. I would encourage you with this, friends, that where we are walking out the gospel, there's always a place to it. And so Paul is, Paul is going to instruct them to say, be intentional with your gospel citizenship in Philippi. That's, that's where you're a citizen. There's always a, a place in which we are to live out the gospel. We started this with the book of Philippians just to say that it's not an accident where we live. And so, friends, I would encourage you as citizens of the gospel, if you have believed in him, you are to live out that citizenship within a particular place. You are to glorify God within a particular place. And how this plays out in your life is that you're to love your city for its good. You're to think about your city and places of hurt within your city and say, how can the gospel transform that place, this place? And I, I think this is... A, a helpful illustration, we were in Africa, and we were, I was at Bugiri for the first time that I've ever been there, and they do a children's thing on Saturdays, every Saturday. What I found out is when Crosspoint first partnered with Bugiri, they went to the, basically the equivalent of a city council, and they asked the city council, what are you trying to do in your city? And they said, we need someone to minister, to, we need someone to help the orphans. We have so many orphans, and we need help with the orphans. And the church, doing what churches do, they helped with the orphans. They hold a children's camp on Saturdays. For many hours, they feed orphans who would normally not be taken care of. They teach them about the Lord and the gospel. And so I would ask you, Crosspoint, are you, are you asking how can you be for the good of the city? This is what the churches are to do. Through the power of the gospel, we think about how can the church be for the good of the city? How can we live as citizens of this place for its good? For its good. And so this is what Paul, this summary, I know it's just one short statement, but there's a lot there. Live worthily as a citizen of the gospel. Live out your dual citizenship well. Care for where you live. So this is the context for the rest of the passage. Also at the backdrop here is that the Philippians are suffering, right? This is what we get to at the end. So as we look at this passage, we need to be mindful that they are suffering. So the first point that we will look at together is how we live worthily of the gospel is we stand together in the gospel. We stand together in the gospel. You see, when suffering comes, it's very difficult to stand firm. It's very difficult to stand together. You see, any type of pressure from the outside, it, it could split us. It could drive a wedge between us. It's like when a marriage has uh, bills piling up or moving or things like that. The pressure could split us. When Katie and I first got married, we moved two or three times within like a three-week period. Trust me, the pressure can be difficult for a new married couple. And the same is true of the church. When there are pressures from the outside, it can easily it, it can divide us. And so Paul wants to tell them, stand together for the gospel. Stand in the gospel. And he says, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. In Philippians 2, he gets into this further, so I won't spend much time here. But let me read to you just the first couple verses of Philippians 2, if you'll look there with me. 
He describes this further. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. He's encouraging them that if you're going to work together, you have to be of the same mind, of the same spirit. Our ability to work together, Crosspoint, members of Crosspoint, is really dependent on a certain like-mindedness. It's not a matter of personality, but it's a matter of loving the same things. But personality can divide us, right? We have people who just think completely differently. And so what what is difficult and what matters about the gospel is that we're continually being transformed so that we can put one another before ourselves, so that we can love one another enough until, so that the small things don't divide us, but we begin to work together despite our differences. This is what Paul is calling them to do. Put the differences aside, work together, stand together be of one mind love the same things of course what paul is asking them to love is supremely the gospel that's what he's going to say it's christ it's the message of christ and his reconciling love this is what paul is asking them to do philippians 4 2 another reference here he says i entreat euodia and syntyche I know you love those names, to agree in the Lord. Paul says, put aside the petty differences, agree in the Lord. There are much bigger things going on here. Another aspect of standing together in the gospel is, and this is where Paul is kind of changing the conversation from the earlier section. Paul is saying, whether I come and see you or am absent, stand together in the Lord. You see, we should not depend on any particular person for the stability of our faith. Paul wants to ensure that their fruitfulness in the gospel is not overly influenced by his presence or his lack of presence. He wants to remind them that this is communal fruitfulness. They are to dwell, they're to walk together in the faith and thus grow in this way. I think this is particularly important for us. We have been without a, a senior pastor for nearly a year now. I wonder if some of you are waiting for that until you begin to really take off. There's some sense of stability in your walk that goes along with having a head guy. I wonder if maybe it's not a senior pastor, maybe it's someone else in your life that your faith, that your maturity is dependent on. What Paul is saying is that wherever you are, you dwell with those people and you grow with them. And so friends, I hope that you're not seeking someone else who's not here. I hope that you are just seeking to stand firm with those who are here. This is what Paul is calling them to do. Stand together in the gospel. But then also we're to work together for the gospel. Not just standing and having the same mind, but we're also working together. And this root word implies that there's resistance. Thus, the translation in some of your versions, contending. Contending for it. There's going to be struggle. A sports analogy is the best here. I'm sorry for those of you who don't like it. 
but it's like double teaming on a big defensive lineman. You grab arm in arm, you're seeking the same goal, and you're seeking to take that one man out. And you work together in it. This is what we do in the gospel. You see, it's not something that we can do alone. Again, there are no lone rangers, as we've said before. The gospel is teamwork. It's working together. And you see, this is just how God works. He doesn't allow us to take the easy route, which would be, let, a, let me do it by myself, Lord. I can do it better than someone else can, alone. That's not the way God works. He demands that we begin to sacrifice ourselves for others and that we begin to work together despite our differences. We are to work together for the gospel. Now, it won't hurt to highlight the fact, again, that Paul's uh, supreme point here, his main concern throughout the letter has been the gospel. Why is he still joyful while he's hanging out in prison, while he's chained to a Roman guard? Because the gospel's moving forward. You see, Paul, it doesn't take much. It's just, it's the gospel. That's it. That's the supreme thing in all of his life. This has been the supreme thing throughout all of the letter. It's not difficult to know what the purpose of every church should be, friends. It's not complicated. It's to propagate the reconciling love of God through Jesus Christ. This is what we do. And so it's not complicated programs. It's all centered around the gospel, Jesus Christ, his love, his forgiveness, his death for us. You know, we see expressions of this work in our body through the work at Grace. We had 60 people go to work together at Grace. It's a wonderful just fruit to see from our body. We have partnerships in Africa I received an email this last week from Bugiri Baptist Church, Pastor George in Bugiri. It's quite amazing. And then individual people sent out from Cross Point, like Chris Mott. And then we go up there and, and, and we work with him. We join, join arms and seek to work together for the fruit of the gospel in New England. But there's much more work to be done. And friends... I hope that Crosspoint doesn't become one of those popular statistics where 80% of, or 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I fear this for you, for us. If you're a member, you've been attending for some time and are not serving anywhere at this point, I hope you hear Paul's exhortation to you and to all the body. Lock arms and serve together. Don't wait. Serve. Stand together the best way to find ways to serve here at cross point just so you hear that here's some practical guidance for you is first get involved in a sunday school class and a small group this won't do it this allows you to stay isolated get involved with a small group or a sunday school class and then if you don't find anything through that there's some connections then email Kristen, email me we want to find a place for you to serve but friends, we come together so that we can walk together in the gospel. And so please, if you're not serving anywhere, recognize this isn't optional for you. This isn't something that you, you couldn't take it or leave it. It's demanded. This is what God's people do. The third point here, we are to stand together for the gospel, then we're to work together for the gospel but then we are also to not be frightened by those who oppose 
the gospel. This, this word frightened, it means to become startled. There's, a, there's an element of surprise going on here. Uh, it actually comes from describing the way horses are. And I don't know if you've spent a lot of time with horses. My dad was a horseshoer. And so I got to spend a little bit of, of time with them. And every time, you know, most kids get excited about going with their parent to work. But when I went with dad to work, he said I had to sit on a bucket about 100 yards away because the horses had a tendency to kick. This is what they do. They're easily startled and they'll kick. A, a, a mouse runs by and a horse just goes nuts. And so uh, this is what the word is referring to, that we would not become startled that there wouldn't be this element of surprise associated with suffering. You see, we shouldn't be surprised. Listen to John 15, 20. Remember what I told you, Jesus says, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they obeyed my word, they will also obey yours too. What Paul's saying, if, uh, what Jesus is saying, if they persecuted him, they're going to persecute his people. Acts 9.16, this, this is what Paul gets when he's converted. There's a man who's sent to him and to go and to kind of speak the first words to him after Jesus has appeared to, to Paul. Ananias is his name, and he goes to Paul, and this is what God says that, to Ananias. God says, I'm going to show Paul how much he is to suffer for my name. Would you sign on to that gig? I mean, did anybody tell you that when you first were asked to come to Jesus and to ask him into your heart? Do you know how much you're going to have to suffer for him? You see, we shouldn't be surprised by it. We shouldn't be frightened by it because we know it's going to happen. We shouldn't be but also because we know their future and our future. The future of those who are persecuting and then the future of us who are being persecuted. Their future, Philippians 3, 18 through 19, Paul tells us, Many live about whom I've often told you and now with tears. I tell you that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they exult in their shame. They think about earthly things. Paul says those who are persecuting you, these who are enemies of the cross, their end is destruction. Don't be fearful. Be aware of what's coming. But then also your future. Philippians 3, 20-21, he's laid it out for us. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we also await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform these humble bodies of ours into the likeness of his glorious body by means of that power which he is able to subject all things to himself. This is how you become confident about your future and you aren't frightened by persecution. You're completely aware of what happens to those who do not know him, and you're aware of what happens to those who do. There is nothing to be fearful of. You will be with him forever. As we've said throughout this study, friends, if you serve Christ, you cannot lose. You cannot lose. So we are to not be frightened by those who oppose the gospel. We are to trust that our future is to be with Him, that they really cannot hurt us. So we are to stand together of one mind. We are to work together in one spirit. 
towards the same goal, which is the gospel, the, the fruit of the gospel. And then we are to recognize God's gifts in the gospel. Lastly, we're to recognize God's gifts in the gospel. We might have been confused about what exactly we were promised when we accepted this. But Paul lays it out very clearly. Here are the gifts. Listen to verses 29 through 30. And I want to bring all this, all of this together. It is all integrated. Philippians 1, 29 through 30. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe. Here's the first gift. Don't miss it. It has been granted to you. The word comes from the word grace. It's been given to you. It was a gift you did not deserve. It's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe. Here's the first gift, friends. You have relationship with Christ. You have believed. It was a gift that was given to you. You don't have faith that you contrived out of yourself. God gives you faith to trust in him to be redeemed. This is the first gift, that you should not only believe in him, but also that you should suffer for his sake. Do you recognize the two gifts? The faith we're not going to talk about much, but what we'll see later on in the book is that Paul is calling for a great humility on the part of every person in Philippi. This is what happens when we recognize that God gives us faith. There's no arrogance in us. There's no reason to be arrogant. We have nothing of our own. Everything has been given to us. He has given it to us. And so as you come to God, you recognize that he has given you all. As you come to one another, you recognize he has given you all. And so that is the first gift. The second gift, though, very odd, is you get to suffer with Christ. Here's what we need to realize, because it seems like the world avoids suffering in every way that it can. But suffering does not indicate that something's wrong. We need to see this, but that it, in, it indicates that something is right. If you were to ask Paul, what's the deepest way that we can commune with Christ? Listen to that. What is the deepest way, Paul? Just tell me. What do you think? What's the deepest way we can commune with Christ in this life? Here's what I think Paul would tell you. To take part in his sufferings. And I'm not taking that out of thin air. Listen to Philippians 3.10. You can flip there. Philippians 3.10. Paul says, my aim is to know him, to experience the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings, and to be like him in his death. You see, the Bible doesn't promise us joy in Christ in the sense of health and wealth and everything we could ever dream of. It promises us joy in Christ that no matter what is taken away from us and what's done to us, Christ is more and he's better. I've only known one or two people who have been really persecuted in this sense, who've been, in a sense, rejected by their families for their faith. I don't know if you have experienced this at all. Some of you probably have. But when I had the opportunity to talk with those people who were rejected by their families for the faith, there was an odd thing that went on inside of me. Just, it was strange. It was as if 
this is how it's supposed to be. It's as if God was saying, you're blessed to be a part of this. Because see, when we suffer for Christ, we suffer with Christ. We suffer with Him. We fellowship with Him in a deeper way. And this is what Paul is telling the Philippians. Don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. Suffering is a gift from God. And then he says to them in verse 30, You're engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. And so Paul's saying, in case you're struggling, remember that I'm also experiencing persecution. You're never alone in it. You see, when we stand together and when we work together, we're never alone in our sufferings. We suffer together. Now, I want to widen this because it's sometimes hard for us to be able to apply this concept of suffering to our own lives. Are we talking just about physical persecution here? Is that what's going on? This is probably what happened for the Philippians. They were being persecuted under the Roman Empire because they would often not offer incense to Caesar and say that Caesar was God. They were also persecuted by zealous Jewish believers who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But there are other types of suffering. You see, every trial, everything we go through, is either used by Satan for your destruction or by God for your sanctification. And so, get that. Every trial we go through, whatever it is, however broad you want to define suffering, everything you go through is either used by Satan for your destruction or for God for your sanctification. This is the right view of God's sovereignty. That everything that happens in our life, that God is working for our good. Or, Satan... If we allow him to tempt us, is working for our destruction. And so, I want to ask you, how are you rejoicing with Christ in your own sufferings? I want to suggest to you that all of you are experiencing some type of trial and that our body in general is experiencing trials. We are being tested. I don't know if some of you are aware, maybe I'm more aware than some of you, but sometimes it's, it's saddening when we have less people here on Sunday mornings. We've seen friends go out from our midst. Who are, they're no longer here. We hear rumblings about this and about that, and sometimes it can be very discouraging. It, can be, it, it is a trial in some sense. But I want to ask you, Are you standing together? Are you working together? Are you considering it all joy that you get to suffer? You see, I think the reason that Paul asked them to stand together and to work together is not only, I mean, that's simply what's supposed to happen, but also because when we don't stand together and work together, when we isolate ourselves from the body, that is when we're more vulnerable to attack. Right? Isn't that what Peter said? The devil roars about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You think that lion attacks the full pack or do you think he attacks the lone ranger, the easy one? 
You see, this is why Paul, this is one major reason he's saying, stand together, work together for the gospel. Because when you begin to separate, when you let those differences divide you, when you begin to isolate yourself from the body, that's when Satan will attack you. That's when he will devour you. You see, our unity is threatened, friends, during times of persecution, during times of outside pressure, even when it's not physical, whatever it may be, our unity is threatened. And so Paul says, stand together. He says, work together. You see, the devil could be subtle in his ways of pressuring us, seeking to disrupt our fellowship. He could pit us against one another. And so, Friends, this is how we are called in the gospel to work together, to join arms. So, we are all here together as a family. I want to ask you, if, if you are not integrated into this body, that you would be. That you would be. This is what you're called to in the gospel, to work together. We're going to come to the table, the Lord's Supper. It's such a beautiful picture of what we're talking about. Because you see, in the Lord's Supper, we not only celebrate that we have been reconciled to Christ, we also celebrate that we have been reconciled to one another. Paul actually tells the believers in Corinth, consider one another before you come here, before you come and partake of this table. And so, normally, before we partake, I ask you to take time to pray and to search your own heart. I want to ask you something different this morning. I want you to take time to pray, and I want you to think about your relationships in here. People in the children's building, wherever it may be, I want you to think about your relationships at Cross Point. You see, we're called the covenant community. There should be no divides between us. And so I want you to pray for not yourself, but for your friends. And Jesus said this is the greatest commandment, the second commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. So as you prepare, you've been reconciled to Christ. If you have repented and believed, if you have not, then we would ask you respectfully that you don't partake of the table. But you have also been reconciled to one another. The health of our body is dependent on our walking together. The health of the gospel in our city is dependent on us walking together. Will you take time to pray? I'll ask you to bow your heads now and just prepare, and I'll close this with prayer and we'll continue.